You have reached a phone call from Paul, a literary hub podcast. To hear more, visit lethub.com. Paul Holden Graber's conversation with Sean. Hello, is this John? Yes, is this Paul? It is Paul. I'm so happy you're taking my call. And, and tell me, how do I pronounce your name properly? Well, uh, it is uh, said Sean. Uh, Sean. I, I, I nearly got it right, but not quite. Yeah, close to, close to Cl- the Irish. Sean? Cl- close enough. How, how are you? I'm, do, I'm doing well, and you? Am, am I in, what am I interrupting? What have you been doing today? Well, uh, today I've actually just been uh, attending to business. Uh, as you know, more and more of our time uh, gets spent on practical issues, such as uh, correspondence, travel planning, uh, you you seem to be saying that um in in w- with some sadness as as if um more and more of our time is occupied and preoccupied and perhaps less and less of our time is spent on things that matter yes if if writing is what matters to you then of course uh having to play uh, a travel agent for uh, for um, you know an hour per day is maybe not exactly what you imagined when you were were a young writer you know and you thought this would all be about the writing but somebody said you know we will start at, start as writers and then we we end up as traveling salesmen who who said that. But, I can't remember, you know. It's a fantastic line, and and in a way, you know, it's not far removed from what so many people used to say when I was when I was a pretend scholar many many years ago, teaching at various universities. People told me, you know, you begin with your love of literature. In my case, it was my love of literature and philosophy, and you end up being chairman of a department. Yes. But, you know, this is a part of uh, being a modern-day writer, so it, it, it's not like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm suffering that much, you know. But, uh, you know, we have to do this. But I also found time today to, to uh, go to the cafe here on the next corner and, and read a bit. I, I'm reading Samantha Schweblin's Fever Dream. Tell me about that. I don't know that at all. And I was about to ask you um, if you have time at moments in an uninterrupted way to to read what what is this book you're just mentioning i'm i'm sorry for my ignorance it's uh, recently been out in the states from riverhead books started reading it yesterday it's a, it's a fantastic uh, fantastic small novel uh, by uh, by uh, just another wonderful author uh, coming from uh, that part of the world now. Latin America seems to be having a second boom at the moment. And this is a fantastically written uh, novella 
At the moment, uh, I don't know if it is taking place in some sort of uh, 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 world between uh, life and death. There are two people having a conversation, a young boy and a woman who seems to be dying. And uh, it's it's a fantastic, uh, fantastic text. So I'm very glad I picked this one up at Politik in Bohannel in the center of Copenhagen. I know, I know that, I know that bookstore. As you know, I, I, I have a passion for, for Denmark and for Copenhagen. And I, I know that bookstore and it's a wonderful bookstore. Yes, it's amazing how, how good they are at, at picking up new, new titles from, from all over the world. You know, they also pay attention to the small presses, which tend to, be at the forefront of publishing uh, translation into English. Do you think it has something to do, and and maybe in a way it's it's connected to Iceland, with being a small country? Yes, I think you know at, at least in Iceland, you know. I mean, um, uh, um, you know, it's 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 an age-old tradition here to to uh, to. Uh, uh, defy uh, the, the the geographical uh, isolation by constantly uh, moving back and forth from the island, uh, bringing back the goods, you know. So we are very much aware of uh, how important it is for us to to uh, to reach out and uh, to uh, pick up whatever whatever uh, gets our attention and, and we find interesting in, 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 in cities all over the world and, and, and to bring it back home. And once it's here, we read it and uh, then we make from it what we can, you know. So Icelandic uh, history, both literary history and political history, is about this uh, communication, you know, and, and, you know, an Icelandic author at the beginning of the 20th century uh, might go to Paris and, and hear about this new thing called uh, surrealism and then he would bring the techniques of surrealism back home and, uh, and because this is a completely different environment, a different society, the author would use the tools of surrealism to rejuvenate and then from the Icelandic heritage, you know. So we, we are we are we are like magpies. I, I, I always compare this to magpies or ravens who like to decorate their nests with with uh, with beautiful things, you know. And uh, and once, let's say, uh, a diamond ring is in a in a, in a raven's nest, it's definitely out of place. But the raven is happy, and you know, it it looks nice and even. But one one might make the argument that great literature is precisely the literature that puts things out of place and back into another place. Yes, absolutely. Of course, it is this endless, endless, uh, endless uh, exchanging of, of 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 stories and 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 and, and techniques of storytelling. You know, uh, it's like uh, in all the arts. You know, I've always. Uh, Imagined, you know, a drumbeat traveling the Silk Road. Yes. As a good example of this, you know, there is a drumbeat coming from a specific uh, ritual in a temple somewhere uh, deep uh, within uh, India or somewhere. 
and it just starts traveling, you know, along the Silk Road, because there's a drummer there, you know, who likes the beat, and he starts working with it, and then it just travels on and on and on. And one day this uh, drum beat uh, is all of a sudden used, you know, centuries later, millennia later, you know, in a death metal song uh, in northern Norway, you know. So this is how stories, I think, and 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 uh, and uh, literary techniques also also uh, work. They, they 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 travel. Uh, they travel from from continent to continent. In in your case, I think the fact that someone went to Paris and discovered for Iceland surrealism had a tremendous effect on you. Yes, in this case, uh, the, the author who, who went went to the continent and 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 brought back uh, the ideas of surrealism and some of its techniques was uh, none other than Halldór Kiljan Laxness, who uh, uh, received the Nobel Prize in 1955 and is the undisputed literary giant of the 20th century in Iceland. What must one read of his? Uh, well, uh, qu quite, a, quite a number of his novels uh, are available in, in English now. Where, do, where should one begin? Uh, I would begin, well, you know, uh, I, I recommend my favorite, which is called in English, The Fish Can Sing. It's a beautiful, uh, beautiful coming-of-age story uh, that takes place in Reykjavik at the beginning of the, of the, of the 20th century. And uh, you should go from there to his uh, big masterpiece, uh, Independent People, which has been praised by, you know, almost every... Every, uh, every, uh, everyone who, who gets in touch with it. And, and I think they are available from vintage in the States, you know, vintage classics. So, Halperlaxness. And, but he, you know, he went on to become this epic, uh, epic, uh, you know, realist uh, author. But uh, when you know that he uh, started, uh, started uh, with, uh, with uh, with bringing surrealism to Iceland, you know, then you can see that his uh, the, the the dynamics of his uh, dynamics of his storytelling and his use of metaphor it all comes from there. Well, um, I'm I'm going to I'm going to read him. I I must admit to you here quite publicly that I have not, but I always say I have holes in my culture so it can breathe. You know, there are so many things I don't know, and I often feel that what a pleasure not to, because there's something to look forward to. Absolutely, and you know, um, uh, every time I meet someone who has not read uh, The Master and Margarita, for example, I feel immense joy. Yes, yes, yes. I so understand that. And and Bulgakov, in in for you, um, is perhaps the, the, the cornerstone of what made you. It may be surrealism in part, but it may also be that particular book and, and Bulgakov as a whole. Absolutely. And, uh, and that's why, you know, when I hear about this person who's not read Bulgakov, I feel very, uh, I feel this great joy for the person. But at the same time, I feel a deep envy that somebody is, <laughs> is about to experience this 
incredible book for the first time. I, I remember that so much. I remember that so much from the from the years when I when I taught. I always felt uh, so deeply what a what a what a what a joy uh, and 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 envy I felt also. You know, I suffer from a disease called quotomania. I can't not quote people. And there's one quotation that seems to me perhaps may speak to you very, very strongly. It's something that Umberto Eco once said. He said that to survive, we must tell stories. Yes. And I, I wonder how this speaks to you and how it speaks to you particularly with your own work. Well, I, I am a great believer in this idea and, and, and in the idea of uh, the human, human being as a storytelling uh, animal and uh, uh, storytelling somehow being uh, one of the, one of the, I mean, if, if I'm, I'm sure you, we, we can, we, 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 we can uh, find a number for this, like <clears throat> the three, the three most important things for the human being or something. <clears throat> And uh, I really, I really believe that telling stories is uh, rooted at the at the core of what makes us, what what makes us uh, survive. You know, I mean, we would have stopped telling stories, uh, you know, uh, one hundred thousand years ago if it if, if, if it hadn't a fundamental uh, uh, fundamental uh, uh, role. In, 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 in making us survive. So, you know, uh, our, our mind is, 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 is from, 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 from birth, uh, thirsty for stories. And, and we instantly start, uh, start, uh, feeding children stories. With a lullaby, we instantly start responding to the child by, uh, singing a lullaby or, or entertaining it. And the lullaby is wonderful because it contains everything. It is poetry, it is music, it is performance. And, uh, and we realized, okay, this is what the little one uh, enjoys. Uh, and then we just keep uh, expanding on that, you know. And, uh, and uh, the only difference uh, between the lullaby and uh, what we do later on, on, on as uh, adult uh, artists or you know actors or or, or novelists is that uh, we of course try to keep our audience awake <laughs> while the lullaby tries to put the audience to sleep oh that's so beautiful I really, yeah i really i really believe that you know we 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 would be something completely different we would not be the animal we are without telling the stories and sharing the stories and and that in in a sense is is what that that belief is in a sense what keeps you going yes and uh, i think you're right <clears throat> that in my books uh, storytelling itself uh, the, uh, uh, my awareness of this uh, and believe in this uh, uh, always plays a role uh, in 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 the stories themselves there is need in the characters to engage with the world through uh, narratives. In Moonstone, it is narratives that come through film. 
in uh, The Whispering Muse. It is a, a class between the narrative of a, of a racist old man and the grand, uh, grand uh, stories of the classical world. So it's always there. It's always there as, a, as one of the main ingredients of the of the stories of the worldview of the stories that I'm telling in my novels. And you know, you you say the classical world. One of, I think, one of the fascinations I have for you is that not only do you come from this small, seemingly to us remote island which has produced some of the, the greatest sagas and literature of the world and some of the greatest music which you actually have partaken in. Perhaps we'll talk about that. But in, in your case, your inspiration doesn't only come from the Edda and the Icelandic sagas, but comes from Greece and from the Greek mythology. Greece fe features in some ways front and center in your world? I think it has to do with uh, the fact that I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm fascinated by beginnings. And uh, the Greek world is, of course, the, 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 let's say, the beginning of our civilization, you know, that we agree on. We agree, okay. This is where we come from. This is the cradle. So I'm 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 uh, I'm, I'm uh, interested in in cradles and uh, creation stories. Uh, I'm interested in where things come from or where we perceive uh, things coming from. And uh, you know, so much of uh, the Nordic uh, heritage, you know, uh, when it comes to the sagas and the ethos. Uh, is directly related to, to the to, to the Greek Greek world. You know, I have a, a a fascination also for Werner Herzog, the German filmmaker, and for him, one of the most important um, classics that everybody should read and very few people do is the Edda, and in his case, it's the Edda and the Greeks both of them. He has a, a passion for Iceland and through his grandfather, who was a great archaeologist, a passion for Greece. And he believes that if you don't know that tradition, you probably don't have a proper roadmap in the world. Yes, of course, we, we have been flattered over the years by Herzog's <laughs> love for 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 the things that were produced and 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 and, and uh, written down here in the in the in the 12th and 13th and 14th centuries and uh, the thing is that you know Snorri Sturluson who was one of the main authors of 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 the classical classical uh, saga period here uh, the period of 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 writing the sagas he is he he is very much aware of uh, the fact that uh, the Nordic uh, pantheon is uh, what can you say is uh, is a is is an echo from 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 uh, echo from the from the classical Greek world, and he just uh, he simply says it uh, directly. He says it directly in in one of his 
one of his books. So he knows the gods come from there. So there is a direct dialogue. But of course, the you know the the, the cultures are, are different, and and, and 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 things changed on the on the on the on the on the road from from the from the from the from the bottom of the you know from the bottom of the Mediterranean Sea and all the way up to the yeah things are little, quite... little island in in, in the North yeah. Atlantic yeah there's there's, there's quite a, a geographic and um, and uh, emotional difference between between those those two worlds I had I had occasions Jon not very long ago on a phone call from Paul to speak with Margaret Atwood. And um, in speaking with her, we spoke about the Future Library project. I was very glad when I was asked to become the third author to contribute to the library. Uh, I'm the first to, uh, to, to come from uh, uh, another language than English. Margaret Atwood uh, was the first, uh, is Canadian, and uh, David Mitchell, uh, who was the second, is from the UK. So they write in English, and I'm the first one who writes in what we like to call here a language spoken by few. Oh. <laughs> Big languages and small languages, yes. just languages spoken by many or spoken by few. And Icelandic is definitely spoken by few because there's only 330,000 of us here. So I, the first question I had to, had to ask myself was, uh, was about language. Am I going to uh, submit a text in English, which would be easy and, 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 and would, uh, in a way, uh, give me the feeling that the text will be understood in 2114, or should I write it in Icelandic and take the chance of, uh, of uh, people, you know, uh, being faced with uh, this old and then maybe forgotten language. So, so it's like a time bomb in some way. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> yes. yeah. But you know, then I, then of course I thought, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I, I, you know, I, I, it's a sense of duty. I, 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 I'll just admit that I have a sense of duty towards the Icelandic language. And I think by writing in Icelandic and submitting the text in Icelandic, uh, you know, I'm, uh, I'm, uh, uh, I think, uh, showing the project the great respect of like working with with uh, the, the working with uh, the, the language and the tool that uh, that uh, makes me uh, be at my best in my writing because when i'm writing in icelandic i'm of course writing in the modern day icelandic but i'm at the same time inevitably having a dialogue with the whole tradition of Icelandic literature, stretching back to the sagas and the Eddas, you know. I, I really think that an Icelandic author uh, can't put down a sentence without that sentence in some way uh, reflect, reflect that sentence somehow reflecting on uh, the whole tradition, you know, I mean. You know, when I, when I, when I heard... We, we, we won't give in, into the idea of metafiction, you know, so... No, no, but you know, when, when I was hearing about the, the, the Future Library project, I was, I was reminded of, of, of two quotations, one by Tom McGuane, an American writer from the West, 
who, who said once that literature is what makes trees immortal, which I thought was fantastic. Yes, that's a wonderful way Isn't of putting it? it. Literature is what makes trees immortal. And then Borges, who I think also matters to you, said, when writers die, they become books, which after all is not a bad incarnation. Those two quotations are perfect for for for, for, for thinking about the, the, the future library, and of course this forest that they have uh, they have already planted outside Norway will you know grow over one hundred years, and there is something very beautiful about uh, something uh, so tangible uh, as trees growing in the real world while you have all those things uh, growing uh, in the in, in, in the uh, inside the, the skulls of uh, those 100 authors who will be uh, called upon to to deliver to to the future library so there there's and also there's great hope in this idea you know i mean in, in our times of uh, our strange times of uh, uh, you know, demagogues and, and dictators, uh, you know, behaving badly all over the world. You know, I mean, it, it's great to have projects which uh, believe in believe in uh, in collaboration and and, and believe that uh, uh, good things can and will happen in the future. And 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 by setting things into motion today, we can at least uh, do our best to to. Uh, make that possible we we we, we grow up with uh, the idea that the impossible can happen you know and uh, uh, you know it's uh, said to be a cliche that uh, uh, icelanders believe in uh, you know elves or the hidden people as we call them uh, which is a nation uh, living in, in in rocks and and and, and mountains but uh, we we managed to keep a sense of that here. Perhaps mistakenly, uh, l- a lot of Latin American literature uh, of the past half decade has been called magical realism, and I think it's a term that, in a sense, is not not perfect. But then again, all of these kinds of classifications really are. And in in thinking about your work, it it would seem to me that. A, a resistance to realism is ingrained in you because there's a belief that what literature should do and can do and in a way must do is go, if not beyond realism, at least create in the, in the reader a sense of, of the magical, of something that is, is beyond, um, the prosaic, if 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 one can talk about it that way, I'm I'm reminded of that wonderful line of of Oscar Wilde, who said, "If a man calls a spade a spade, he should be compelled to use one." Yes, yes. Well, I think uh, I think that in my books, uh, what you find is uh, is. Um, is that I acknowledge that uh, the human being 
uh, doesn't live in reality alone. Yeah. And uh, and uh, uh, what, what is often called uh, superstition uh, is uh, again such an ingrained uh, a part of how the human being uh, how the how the human being uh, reacts to its world. You know, I, another thing. You know, apart from you know uh, having to tell stories. Uh, uh, and maybe stories are a part of this, uh, is, is, is to make sense of the world. Mm. You know, to try to understand what makes the world work. Is, you, you, you mentioned earlier on that there may be three defining characteristics of, of what makes us human. Maybe be one of them, you know. I, that, don't, I don't know how, ma how many there are. I, I think if you and I continue to talk for an hour, we might come up with a dozen but but yes. that but this seems like a good second one is to in some way articulate the world yes and uh, and, uh, and 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 uh, we are all aware of uh, aware of, uh, of 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 uh, how uh, unpredictable the world can be you know we are we are aware of the fact that there are forces at work in the world that uh, that influence uh, us as individuals and our societies, you know, without being visible and be, without being uh, defined properly. So, you know, we have all those, uh, all those, uh, all those other tools, you know, with to 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 uh, to, um, to explain what is going on, and a lot of it is called. Uh, supernatural and I don't know what but I think in my my work even though you know I'm I, I'm uh, acknowledging all this and I'm using all those different uh, different uh, literary techniques you can say which which bring us uh, out of the reality uh, in, in, into some uh, into in, into those <laughs> let's say other levels of reality as I would like to call them you know uh, I, I, I never, I never give in to fantasy. Yes, it's very important in all the books to uh, to uh, to to present this as a part of the experience of the characters. And we have, of course, a great literary canon of uh, of, uh, of of texts describing experiences which lie outside uh, uh, realist descriptions of the world. And, and uh, so for some reason, I, I think it must be the influence of surrealism, uh, plus the influence of, uh, of, the, of the Icelandic folk stories and such. Right from the beginning, I, I, I felt very comfortable with, with, uh, with uh, working with characters who have a language for those other experiences. And where do they get this language from? They get it from religious texts. They get it from uh, from uh, old scientific texts. They get it from uh, folk, uh, folk science and medicine. But none of this is fantasy. All of this is, is uh, derived from the human being at one point or another trying to make sense of the hard and tangible reality which seems to be shaped by forces they don't 
understand or know at any given time. So I'm never a fantasist. And this is something that you can also find in the Icelandic sagas. The Icelandic sagas take place on many different planes of reality. When I grew up, uh, the Icelandic sagas were presented to us as great, ex- great early examples of realist literature. And I just accepted that. But later on, when I had become a writer myself and I started looking at what this was really made from, then I saw that, like all great literature, it had many layers. So you have the realist saga about a legal dispute because someone killed someone's slave or someone's sheep or God knows what, and then uh, people are moving from Iceland to Norway and to, to Constantinople and back. All those movements in the real. But on the other hand, you have uh, uh, people dreaming uh, fantastic dreams, and those dreams, of course, are all prophetic and come true. You have people experiencing visions, writers in the sky, uh, blood uh, dripping from the uh, hooves of their horses. And you have people composing poetry on the moment of death or, 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 or before going into battle or to save their lives. And this poetry is made from... Uh, Kenningar, for example, uh, the most complex metaphoric system uh, known in in, in literature. And in those metaphors, you you, you create knots where you tie together man and the world of gods. So for me, this is... This is <laughs> realist literature that I can I can relate to. Is there is there a poem of you? Is there a poem of yours that you you could read you could read to us now maybe in Icelandic? I can read a poem, uh, a, a short poem. I would love that. It's a sort of a sort of a statement. So uh, I'll read it in Icelandic and then uh, in English. That would be wonderful. Thank you, Zion. Okay. Ars poetica. Það vill henda í ljóðum að þegar þókunni léttir taki hún með sér fjallið. Ars poetica. It may happen in poems that when the fog lifts it takes the mountain with it. Yeah. Goodness. Um, you introduced that by saying that in, in a way it's a, a statement of belief. Yes, it's a, it's a poetic manifesto of sorts. And um, yeah, it's translated by uh, Rory McTurk. Let's let's uh, let's have that in place. Very 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 important to to mention translators. Um, I have a I have a question here. I, I told Nico Muley that I was going to to speak to you, and Nico is somebody else I I spoke to on on this phone call from Paul, and he's someone I I much admire, and who, as you know, is very interested and influenced by Iceland and Icelandic music, and he was wondering if 
in this great interest in, in Iceland and perhaps in tourism in Iceland, if there has been an interest in translating works of Icelandic literature into other languages than English? Yes, you know, uh, the success of, 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 uh, of uh, contemporary Icelandic literature abroad is really astonishing. You know, uh, we are a nation of 330,000 people, as I mentioned earlier. Yes. Uh, so we produce a certain number of books here, you know. I mean, there, there is a thriving literary community. Uh, we write uh, crime novels and children's books and, and, and uh, some romances and ghost stories and, 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 and uh, family stories. You know, we have the whole uh, spectrum of what, what you can do with the novel. And uh, the number of Icelandic, uh, uh, Icelandic uh, uh, novels, especially translated all over the world, is, is, is astonishing. Uh, one of my books, The Blue Fox, uh, has now been translated into, I think, 33, four languages. And this must, this must be uh, thrilling to you, and, 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 and you said astonishing as well. Yes, of course it is astonishing, because, you know, we're, you, you're writing in that language spoken by few. You're, you're working with, uh, working with uh, material which is, uh, of course, local. Uh, in this uh, in, in this particular title, you know, I was working with uh, uh, late 19th century Iceland and the relationship between uh, uh, relationship between ideas coming from abroad that had to do with how we treat uh, how we treat <coughs> disabled people and and and, 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 and with some uh, theology thrown into the mix and 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 and, and folk stories. tells you that uh, a book like that uh, would travel. And I remember uh, when I uh, delivered, uh, delivered uh, uh, the story, the book to my publisher, you know, uh, we agreed that, uh, well, this book is for use here in Iceland, and then we will maybe try to sell the rights of the next one abroad. But anyway, I had to translate it into English because I came into a to some, some money, and I thought, well, I might uh, use it as a Christmas gift to my friends abroad. And uh, then one day my publisher called me and said, well, uh, we've had offer from Italy. Uh, there's, a, there's an editor in Italy at Mondadori who came by your, by your book in English, and she wants to publish it. And then I thought, well, let's see. <laughs> let's see where this takes us. And now we have 30 30-something languages. It is fantastic. I think one, yeah. I think one of the reasons we, 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 we are seeing successes like that is because uh, is because uh, uh, is because of what I mentioned, you know, that we uh, feel very comfortable with bringing in different ways of, of, of dealing with stories and texts and, and, and how the mind uh, how the mind re reacts to, 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 to reality and to use those things in, in, in writing our stories. And so there seems to be uh, a belief that the Icelandic heritage of, of, of literature which 
you know, stems from the Sakas and onwards. Uh, plus uh, the life we have led here and we, le we lead here today uh, is just, you know, strong enough, important enough to be dealt with in books and films, you know, with films, Icelandic films traveling the world. And that, you know, uh, that uh, the local culture is strong enough for embracing and taking advantage of whatever, whatever uh, artistic tools and cultural thought, you know, uh, we can bring in from other shores. But you know, it's not just welcoming, um, and it's it's that you, in a sense, embrace those influences, and because in in a sense you have been open to them, it would seem now that in an interesting way, uh, the world is interested in what three hundred and thirty thousand people are able to 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 bring to the world. I'm 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 reminded. Um, in, in a different way, um, when speaking with Karl Ove Knausgaard, to, to note that one person on six in Norway has his book. And th that is extraordinary. And I, I feel that in many ways, uh, the culture in which I am living now doesn't quite celebrate literature in that persistent, um, way as as what what you're describing and there's something magnificent about it there's a hope and a belief that actually literature can transform us in that way you know in closing um john i wanted to to um to bring a question to you that margaret atwood had for you she first of all wanted to give you warm warm regards and then um she wanted to know how the ravens are doing with their dead sheep now that it is spring. Well, uh, on behalf of the ravens, uh, uh, I can only say that they're doing quite well. Uh, it seems that they, uh, uh, they've had some uh, sheep causes carcasses stored away uh, for the winter this time because they are they are flying about uh, now uh, seemingly seemingly well fed and and and, and happy uh, i took a drive out of reykjavik uh, on uh, saturday and uh, saw uh, an unusually big number of of, of ravens and they looked they looked good and you know this is what they do they they uh, they have they have a reserve uh, sheep carcasses uh, uh, here and there in in the wild which they can feed on over the winter and now of course uh, it's spring and uh, uh, and uh, soon uh, uh, new lambs will be born and that is of course uh, a cause of celebration for the ravens who hoping to get their share of those lamps out in the wilderness later on this summer. So in general, uh, things are looking good for the ravens. Jean, it's been such a pleasure to speak to you and I can't wait for, for us someday to meet. Yes, Paul, the 
same here. I would really, I would really like that, and I have this hopeful belief that it will happen. Yes, I'm sure. I, I, I also have that feeling, and you know, and uh, you know, feelings are are, are usually quite uh, reliable. I agree. All the best to you. Take good care of yourself, and thank you for taking my call. Well, thank you, Paul, for calling. All the best. Bye bye. All the best. Bye bye.